Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvik. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvik, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about werewolves. But first, as always, we have shout-outs. That's right, we have shout-outs going out to Sandy, Kelly Joe, Menace the Beast, Kick-Ass Magic Robot webcomic, Lionel, Sandy, Paige, Kosh, Sean, Andrew Tasha, Scott, Andrea, Devin, Melody, Ricardo, Vicky, Christopher, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Roger, Michael, Terminal Animal, Alicia, Becca, Elizabeth Voidtech, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Kenneth, Paul, Ricardo, Ian, Jen, Alexandra, George, Connie, Seth, Jason, Cindy, Kim, Ashley, what's that? Loki, Carrie, Ezra, Robin, Will, Lauren, and Phil Mangano. Happy birthday to Indiana. Russell, Donald, April, Seth, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, Sean, Bishop. Hey, howdy, hi. Stacy, Paula, Jerry, Leo, Scoston, Lindsey Hahn, Megan, Aaron, Amy, Jeff T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, the Lauren Strong, Veronica, Autumn, J. Mark Manning, Carolyn Martin, Jade, Nanashi, Chuck, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Juliana, Dan, Laura Pitts, and GamerFan. For you patrons, or anybody that wants to become a patron, I want to do something extra fun for you guys for the 200th episode. I'm going to let you guys be the sponsors of the 200th episode. So if you guys are doing something, if you make something, if you make art, I've already gotten some from you guys, if you guys create something, if you have your own Etsy store, if you have your own jewelry store, if you make something that you can sell legally, I want to advertise it for you on the 200th episode. That's right, you guys, patrons only, only patrons can submit it to me either on Patreon or paranormalalmanac at gmail.com, but you have to be an active patron for me to do it. That's my only prerequisite. But the entire 200th episode will have ads, sponsors, whatever you want to call it, from my patrons. Because they make way cooler stuff than I do, so why not share it with everybody else? I think, in my opinion, it's a good idea. But it's my idea, so of course I think it's a good idea. All right, with that, let me tell you a little bit about how you can reach out to me. You can also reach out to me by, uh oh, where is it? That's not what I want. <laughs> you can also reach out to me by sending me things at Paranormal Almanac or Kurt Sandvig, 1812 West Burbank Boulevard, number 7102, Burbank, California, 91506. Once again, that's Paranormal Almanac, Kurt Sandvig. 1812 West Burbank Boulevard, number 7102, Burbank, California, 91506. So if you guys want to send me something for me to advertise on the show, even though it's an auditory podcast, I won't say no to cool stuff. I'll never say no to cool stuff. But anyhow, I thought that would be something fun to do just for the patrons. So, you know, maybe it's... Maybe it'll give someone the, the, the impetus they need to become a patron. All right, with that, 
I have two special shout-outs, as always, to Joe Teague and Stitch. All right, let's get on right on into Paranormal News. Paranormal News. There was this one night we were out in the field, and suddenly there was this incredibly bright light descending from the sky. Next thing we knew, we were in this big white room, and standing in front of me was this slimy two-legged creature with these wide lizard-like eyes across its face. That's from Elliot Van Wyck. Awesome, awesome intro music. Um, again, I, I said it on the last episode, but I'll send it on. I'll say it on this one too. If you guys want to send me your own bumper music for Paranormal News, please send it on over to paranormalalmanac at gmail.com because again, those are awesome. All right, with that, let's get right on into Paranormal News. The first story in Paranormal News. Man, how many times am I going to say the word Paranormal News on this episode? Take a drink every time Kurt says Paranormal News. Six-foot goat man spotted lurking near UK village in the middle of the night. A driver believes that they spotted a six-foot goat man roaming around a village. At around 2 a.m. in the North Hampshire village of Staverton, Staverton, I have no idea, Staverton, people traveling by car were shocked to see a large figure looming over them out of the darkness. It hung around for just a moment before disappearing again, leaving only the void of a mystery behind it. The person who spotted it immediately consulted the internet, posting a posting as Galloping High Road and asking Mumsnet about the mysterious creature. They said, we'd only been away for a few nights and traveled back quite late. Towards the end of our journey, this was about 2 a.m., we were driving along a road in a rural area, and something crossed the road in front of us in full headlights for about three seconds. It was about the height of a person, maybe six foot tall or taller, but it had powerful, short legs and hips which seemed to move in a circular, fluid fashion. It was not a deer because it stood on two legs. This was in the Midlands, in the Midlands, and the area is traditional rolling fields and woodland. In this particular spot, there are no houses or buildings. Nearest is over a mile away. We drove back today, as it's only seven miles from home, to look at the, r- the road layout, and whatever it was, it moved into a wide, bowl-shaped field, dropping down to a stream. Any ideas? So they narrowed the search down to a lay-by-lay, lay-by? To a lay-by on the A425 near Staverton. They later added, the closest we can describe is a large goat man, or a large man goat, they said, on hind legs, but real stocky ones. Obviously not that, though. No animals in surrounding fields when we go there today. One suggestion is it could have been a wallaby. Yes, the marsupial town from Australia is known to live wild in certain parts of the UK. What? Really? And having, uh, after having one escaped from, after having escaped from captivity. That's one theory. Another one is it could be a bear. Well, it doesn't sound anything like a bear uh, to me. That's Kurt speaking. Um, However, other suggestions that uh, it might be some cryptid from the depths of our imagination. One person commented, not a goat man, slender man, Sasquatch. These things don't exist. Color, dark brown, but always hard to tell in full beam. 
The thin bear is the best way to describe it. Droopy shoulders, but wide hips, etc. at base. But obviously not a bear in UK. There's no bears in the UK? Really? Really? Is there no? All right, UK listeners. Are there bears? There's no bears in the UK? Hold on. I want to look that up. Are there bears in the UK? Why aren't there bears in the UK? Are there bears in the UK? There are no bears in England today. However, there were around 13,000 brown bears that roamed the British woodlands after the last ice age before becoming extinct around 1,500 years ago. Wow. All right, there's your fun fact for the episode. There are no bears in the UK. Crazy, though. Bizarre. Goatman, already spotted. 2022, kicking it up a notch. All righty, up next in paranormal news, one that I didn't watch or read. I saw the headline. I was like, ooh, I'm saving that to read live on the air. Most of the times I read these a little bit, but not the full story because I don't want to, you know, sound like I'm just reading you something. The next story is, did my two-year-old just remember how he died in a former life? A toddler shocks mom with eerie details of being an adult. A mom didn't know what to think when her two-year-old suddenly declared that he used to be an adult who died trying to find water. Mom and TikToker Kelsey what else? gained nearly 8 million views and 10,000 comments after she shared her, t- her, her toddler's eerie reincarnation claims. Huh. All right, where is it? I want to see the video. Oh, all right, here we go. Here we go. Ready? Did my two-year-old just remember how he died in a former life? My child has always been obsessed with maps ever since he was a baby. Like, his bedroom is map-themed. We were riding the car, and he said, I used to be an adult. Just kind of out of nowhere, we're like, okay. But then I sunk, and I became a kid. He said, when I used to be an adult, I had a map and I was traveling through the sand to find water. But when I found water, I sunk and then I became a kid again. Since then, he's been talking about things that happened to him when he was an adult that have never happened to him in his life. Is this like a former life or an overactive imagination? What do I do with this? Oh, I like that. And what do you do with it? Like nothing. You got to listen to him. Obviously, ask questions. If this is... Someone who listens to this podcast, or if you have this kind of experience, I've said it before, but I'll say it again. If something like this happens, ask him questions. Be very calm. Be very, you know, listen, you know, just listen to them. Be very insightful. Oh, okay. Well, tell me more. What? Where were you? Do you remember what your name was? Do you remember how old you were? Do you remember what you looked like? You know, try and find, if he likes maps, try and figure out on a map, hey, look, here's all these cool maps. Does any of these places look familiar to you? Like, do the baby steps to try and figure out if you can prove that kid's past life. Uh, let's see. It goes on to say, well, basically, all of the rest of the stuff is just basically what she just said in the video. I don't need to reword it. Many users seem to believe be believers in re- reincarnation and should encourage your boy to share more. Yes, indeed. Ask him as many questions as you can. Yep. See, there you go. Document his answers. Yep. He, wrote, he won't remember for much longer. I completely agree with everything that these people are saying, because I have already said that in the past episodes and on this one. Uh, other TikTokers share their own experiences with their kid's past life. Claims, when my kid was two, she saw a fire in the news and said, I was in one of those before. I miss my sons. Will I ever see them again? Creepy. My son does this too. He told me, when I was, when I was big, I worked on cars like daddy. Then one day I went into the woods and I didn't come back. The crap? Um... Some TikTokers are saying, no, under the age of five, children's imaginations and dreams and realities appear nearly indistinguishable from each other in their own mind. Bad bullshit. 
I think it's an important question you ask is what I'm supposed to do with this, and that is listen, pay attention, and be interested in his stories. No matter if it's his past life stuff or his imagination, he'll be encouraged to share what's on his mind, one, one user wrote. Yeah, of course. Others were simply spooked by the tale saying this is scary. When scientist Peng Jiamu went missing in the Lop Desert in 1980, he left only a note that indicated that he went out to look for water, another user suggested. Interesting. How can you only find how can you find a specific story about a scientist going missing in the Lop Desert 1980 going out to look for water? All right, that's cool. I like that. So, yeah, I'm glad I saved that one. That is a cool paranormal story. Up next in Paranormal News. What's this? A news story that pertains to the episode? That rarely happens. Actually, happens all the time. Lone Wolf Scott claims to have spotted a werewolf as he shares clip of a strange creature. A Scots photographer has been ridiculed online after he posted footage of what he claims is a werewolf in a Scots forest. This snapper with the YouTube username Horace the blank Horace the set up a remote wildlife camera in a very isolated forest and claims he caught images of the mythological creature. The footage of the animal was posted to the video site three days ago and has viewed more than 10,000 times. The cameraman posted a message along with the video that states, this strange animal was captured on a remote wildlife camera in a very isolated forest in the far north of Scotland. The nearest cottage is over 10 miles away. There are no tracks or paths nearby and dog walkers never visit the area. Could it be a werewolf? Hundreds of social media users have had some fun at the cameraman's expense, stating that 78-second clip shows the animal is nothing more than a well-fed dog. Anne Hartley posted, This is just a dog. Werewolves are just stories. And to say they're more real than Nessie is an insult to Scotland and Scottish people. All right, I like that last part. Uh, Phil Lionsdale said, It's a dog eating doggy treats. The area is hardly inaccessible. You got there. Daniel Hall said, You do realize that a werewolf is and supposed to be, right? This is a dog. Recently, we told how a dog owner of a beep-beep-boo, that doesn't matter. That's a different story. All right, where's the video, though? I want to see it. Let's see if I can get to the video. <laughs> Where is the video? All right, let's search it manually, then. Horace the. That is really his name, Horace the. Ah, uh, he took it down. This video is no longer available. Well, I got some screen grabs of it, so let's see what this looks like. Ooh, wait. Maybe I found a video? Oh, I did find a video. All right, let's bring it up. It's taken down on YouTube, but you can still find out. Oh, that's a dog. That's a dog clearly eating a dog treat off a tree. What? What? Hold on, I'm going to rewind. Yeah, um, it's a bunch of dog treats scattered around in front of... This isn't even a, a trail cam. This is obviously... Like a video camera, a GoPro, a cell phone. And it's just a dog. Fat, chubby, cute dog, but a dog nonetheless. Like, that's not even close to werewolf. Oh, so sad. I wanted to see a werewolf for this episode. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news. These are the 10 states where you're most likely to see a UFO. That's right. UFOs have become a hot topic in Washington. We all know that. Let's get to the states. I don't care about any of that stuff. Let's get to the states. Um, where are the states? Here we go. California is the UFO capital of the United States with a staggering 15,072 sightings reported from the Golden State. Florida is fair behind and second with 7,513 sightings. Coming in third, we got Washington with 6,720 sightings. Coming up fourth, 
Texas with 5,631 sightings. Coming up fifth in this uh, countdown is New York with 5,403 sightings. Arizona's coming up in four in fifth. Yeah, fifth? Wait, fourth? Third is Washington. Texas is fourth. New York is fifth. Arizona's sixth. Ah, there we go. Arizona's sixth with 4,604 sightings. Finishing off the top 10, Pennsylvania with 4,592 sightings, Ohio with 4,110, Illinois with 4,025, and my home state of Michigan with 3,383 sightings. At the opposite end of the scale are North Dakota and South Dakota, who are just slacking. You people from North Dakota and South Dakota, get out there and find some UFOs. They've registered just 264 and 355 reports, respectively, since records began. Despite California, despite California's mammoth UFO report record, the crown for the spookiest state goes to Texas because of its huge number of ghost sightings. Two lists on one report. I love it. Texas has had 7,382 ghost sightings. California, Ohio, and Michigan trailing behind with 6,973, 2,903, and 2,704, respectfully. Look, I take pride in this list. I'm from Michigan. I live in California. Both Michigan and California have been on both lists. Heck yeah. Uh, Combining paranormal experiences with the population of each state, your odds of seeing something supernatural are highest in Maine, followed by Vermont. And then Montana. Yeah, buddy, there you go. So if you want to see UFOs, yeah, you know where to go. But if you want to see full-on paranormal, maybe ghosts, maybe UFOs, something cryptid, something, you know, spooky, the top three states in America to see something supernatural. Once again, Maine, then Vermont, then Montana. I like those. I like those kinds of stories. Up next in paranormal news, a documentary is being planned featuring Tillamook County Sasquatch Hunter. Longtime resident of Pacific City, Peter Byrne, 96 years young, has spent his entire adult life chasing the unidentified primate called Bigfoot. Indie movie producers Lloyd Morris and Peter Facer are preparing to illustrate the exciting story of Byrne's life in the form of a documentary or docu-series. I kind of dig this. I really do. 96 years old. Spent 90% of his, most of his life hunting Bigfoot. Bigfoot. The Los Angeles producers met Byrne while shooting a documentary on Bigfoot in 1994. They said Peter's life story is fascinating on many levels. Our goal is to archive his accomplishments and share his explorations with an audience. Born in Dublin, Ireland in 1925, he joined the British Royal Air Force, um, was based in the Indian Ocean in World War II, did air and sea rescues in North India, he uh, managed a tea plantation in the Himalaya Mountains. And that's when he said that uh, the interest in the stories the Sherpas told about the Yeti kind of like piqued his interest. He then spearheaded his project to search for the creature. According to Morrison Facer, Byrne spent three solid years trekking through the Himalaya Mountains investigating the Yeti. Funded by wealthy investors, this three-year stretch of exploration is the longest recorded search for the Yeti to date. Years later, Byrne, who was considered an expert on the topic, was hired to move to the Pacific Northwest and find Bigfoot. Upon arrival, he found that the area was much larger and the forests were much more dense than he even imagined. In an interview with Morris Byrne said he thinks 
This is a real possibility. There is a real possibility to successfully hide away in these forests forever. Oh, let's keep going. Wrote a bunch of books about Bigfoot. That's cool. Ran the Bigfoot Information Center in, in the Dallas, in the Dallas, in the Dalles, in the Dalles, in the 1970s. He, uh, 96, he's still walking around the woods, watching his game camera footage and investigating the unknown. His cameras are set up in likely spots where animals might wander. The amount of large game recorded over the years is significant. I've never seen anything like it. The duo plans to compound all media collected by Byrne, including at least 2,500 animal photos dating back to the 1940s. I just watched a 16-millimeter film recorded by Byrne in 1957 through 59 of him in the Himalayas attempting to uh, capture the abominable snowman. This is footage. This footage is one of a kind. It's pretty incredible stuff. People don't know anything about it are the ones who are usually have doubts. Yeah, I like it. I like everything about this dude. I'm excited to watch this thing, man. 96 years old and still going strong. Good on him. Up next in paranormal news, former Pentagon official says family of UFO investigator reported creature peering into their house. This is a weird one. A new military.com report based on interviews with several, several former officials involved with those investigations highlight just how out there the military's interest in unidentified aerial phenomena can be. Uh, the report references to the Nimitz incident. You guys know about that. The 2004 naval fighters. Yep, we all know about that. UFOs, sure. Tic-tac, yep, UFOs. Uh-huh, keep going. Um, where is the good stuff? Ah, here we go. So they said that, uh, you know, they talk about the tic-tac and the secretive Pentagon program commissioned a sailor to investigate the Nimitz incident. After he, after that, the sailor went back to his home in Virginia. His wife and teen children say they witnessed a wolf-like creature that walked on two hind legs peering inside their houses on two occasions. That's right. Two possible, or kind of, werewolf stories in paranormal news, and we're doing an episode about the werewolf. I like it. I like everything about it. All right, let's keep going on, though. There's lots to get to. How government overclassification may hide UFO videos and harm our security. Yeah, we all knew this one was coming. Not surprisingly, people are saying, hey, remember that uh, cool report and everything they said? They're going to be all like forthcoming with all the information and it'll be fine and cool and they promise to tell us everything. Well, not everything. If something is classified or overclassified as top secret or even secret, the chances for this information to get out are slim and none. The we don't want to share with the public mindset for classifying stuff has not changed since the 50s. Excessive classification is contrary to the value of the democratic society and should be opposed as a matter of principle. Well, I kind of, I mean, I agree with that. It's kind of a, a you know, a pretentious way of saying it, but I kind of agree with it. They say the new UAP classification guidelines may be in conflict with the Executive Order 13526, which restricts reclassifying information and also prohibits information from being inappropriate classified. It's difficult to see how these videos could, quote, be reasonably be expected to cause identifiable or describable damage to the national security. And it keeps going on and on and on. Basically, what they're saying is, look, you can't say everything is top secret because top secret has strict guidelines 
And this has nothing to do with national security. These things, these UFOs have nothing to do with national security. If you find out, if, you be able, if you're able to tell us because of these new reports and new guidelines that aliens are real and aliens are flying UFOs, that doesn't do anything to national security and should be released to the public. Yeah, all right, I agree with that. Last but not least in paranormal news, Hiker thinks they found proof of Bigfoot in California. For decades, there have been sightings of a strange man-like creature that lives in wooded areas. While there have been some sightings of the oversized primate, more often what is found is footprints, big ones. They're so big that it's being widely known as Bigfoot. So, the latest proof comes from Big Sur, California, where a hiker spotted a very large footprint. They took a picture of it next to their own foot for perspective and shared it on Reddit's Bigfoot page, where commenters discussed if they felt the print belonged to a Sasquatch or if it was nothing. There were plenty of believers. One person wrote, this is my very first, this is the first imprint I've seen that isn't clearly a bear. Good find. I wish the print was more fresh, but it really does look more like a Bigfoot track. What a solid print. Definitely Sasquatch. The upper foot impression is a relative is relative to the lower width and diameter of the depth. I'd reach out to the local Bigfoot re, uh, field researchers organization in your area ASAP. Of course, there were some skeptics that said, looks like a washed out boot, boot print, definitely a regular old footprint. It doesn't look crazy large compared to your foot, at least lengthwise, which makes me lean towards human. Um, I mean, I don't know what size shoe this person wears. So, I mean, I can't say if this guy has like a size 13 foot, then yeah, it looks relatively close to a size 13 foot, but there's also a hole at the top of it that's weird. Like someone put like a pencil hole or something to, maybe they're trying to figure out things they could do to make the size show up. I don't know, but hey, it looks like a giant human foot. looks like a big foot print. So hence, it's a big footprint. Oh, I have to talk about one thing. I have all new merch, exciting all new merch. Uh, I went over to you can go over to tpublic.com slash Paranormal Almanac or search Paranormal Almanac. There is a bunch of new and exciting merch. They've got totes and hats and pins and stickers and I think pins, stickers and shirts and you name it, multiple colored shirts. It's a brand new merch store for Paranormal Almanac. So head on over to T-Mobile, or T-Mobile, Jesus Christ, Kurt, tpublic.com slash paranormal almanac or go to tpublic tee public.com search for paranormal almanac once you find the store you'll see all of the styles there's like 20 something styles some of them i'm quite excited about i was talking about it on a live show that uh i think i'm gonna be one of those artists that just wears their own merch like all the freaking time because i love i mean yeah i made the shirts i designed the shirts but um I freaking love these shirts. I'm very, very, very excited about these shirts. So check them out. Go on over to tpublic.com, tpublic.com slash Paranormal Almanac or search Paranormal Almanac. You'll see 20 plus styles. I've got, uh, actually, let's go over a couple of the styles. I, uh, a couple of the styles that, that, I, that, make, that make me laugh. Um, I've got a Hey Howdy High style. So if you guys were into the Hey Howdy High it's a Ouija board. It's very cool. Or a planchette. It's very cool. I've got a paranormal almanac with two skulls. It's actually cool. I've got an end of the world. What fresh hell is going to happen this week? 2022 shirt. I've got the paranormal almanac on this shirt. Let's talk about UFO shirt. I got the worst cult ever shirt. I've got the I'd rather talk about ghosts shirt. Ooh, I got the black eyed children. 
getting into your house tour 2022, uh, Camp Area 51, uh, Ghost Kids Are the Worst shirts, Earth Sucks Want a Ride, Into Butt Stuff Before It Was Cool with an alien's face on it, We Landed There, Facts Are Hard For You, Moon Shirt, It's Not Flat, Don't Be Dumb Earth Shirt, which, by the way, has already gotten a complaint on Public, which I think is hilarious that some flat earther is so upset about an It's Not Flat, Don't Be Dumb shirt. Uh, go find him. He's waiting, uh, camping uh, Bigfoot shirt. I believe in you, Bigfoot shirt. Mothman, not just a perfect-ass shirt. I was there, Roswell 1947 shirt. I went camping at Skinwalker Ranch. Paranormal Almanac, Stitch Forever shirt with a little digital stitch. I love that one. Um there's a bunch of them. There are more and more. The Paramaniac shirt by James Polk, the classic, awesome, freaking the best shirt ever, uh, is on there. Uh, Sean Bishop's Don't Fucking Shoot Bigfoot shirt, the DFSB shirt, is going to be on there. It's I just have to wait a week to put more up. Oh, the Paranormal Almanac Not a Monster shirt with the uh, Loch Ness Monster done 80s style. It's on there. I got a neon Paranormal Almanac shirt. You name it, I got it. And like I said, you can get these things in, um, let's see, you can get them as hoodies, stickers, kids' shirts, mugs, a mask. I mean, there's multiple pins, other stickers. There are multiple, multiple things that you can get these in, multiple colors, tons of stuff, mugs. Uh, I mean, you name it. Uh, yeah, I'm this, tpublic.com slash paranormal almanac. Here's my plug for this week's episode. My only advertisement. You guys very rarely have ever have to hear an advertisement, so you're going to hear one from me all about tpublic.com. I'm so, so freaking excited about these shirts. I cannot even begin to tell you. Um, yeah, and like I say, I'm going to buy them as well. So it's tpublic.com slash stores slash paranormal dash almanac or paranormal almanac. Just search for it in tpublic.com. All right, back to your regularly scheduled Kurt. All righty, let's close up the uh, paranormal news bag. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. We are back. Look, I said it on the live episode just the other night. Judging by the downloads of the last couple episodes, people do not want to hear about places anymore. So... I said, all right, let me push this one up on the list. Let me give the people what they want. I'm talking werewolves, people. That's right. I've briefly talked about them in the past, but a whole episode about werewolves? Maybe two? So let's take a deep dive through history to try, and I repeat, try, to separate some fact from some fiction on one of the most well-known cryptids out there. And as far as cinema goes... I'm going to say that werewolves are only second to vampires. You know, cryptids speaking, there's been more movies. Maybe there have even been more movies. Now, nah, nah, I'm going to say that. There are more movies about vampires than werewolves, but still, you know, pretty neck and neck. Now, there's a lot of expectations and questions that basically come up when you talk werewolves. So I really wanted to do a kind of deep dive into it, but... I also didn't want to get like bogged down in the minutia about this. Uh, as soon as I started to get bogged down and even myself, I was like, oh, I don't care. Nope. Let's move on to the next part. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. And that's how I, that's how I approached this topic because I've had this one on the list. I don't know, for years, really. Werewolves have been pretty high up on the list for a long time, but 
I never knew which way I wanted to really go with it. Am I going to do historical old accounts of werewolves? Well, yeah, a little bit, and you'll hear a little bit about those. Or more modern tales of werewolves? Yeah, you'll hear about them, mostly on the second episode, but you'll hear about that. Um, facts versus fictions of werewolves. What is the common descriptions of werewolves? Like, there's so many different avenues I could do to, you know, to do an episode about werewolves. And I would get kind of flustered and be like, eh, I'm going to put this one away for a little while. So you all know what a werewolf looks like, right? I don't have to go into descriptions of what a werewolf is or does. It's like a vampire. Hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast, you at least have the basics of what a werewolf is. So I'm not going to get into that. Now, I will say, werewolf descriptions really vary throughout history. Some of them, straight up werewolf. You know, like, you know, when a a werewolf rips off its clothes and it's like howling at the moon, it's got the big shoulders and it's standing real tall like a Bigfoot, but it's obviously a wolf and it's got a big wolf nose and it's howling and glowing eyes. Yeah, there are reports of those to this day, mind you. Again, don't get too excited. That's going to be the next episode, the second part of this episode. But to this day, people are seeing a creature that matches those. So then you got to go down the road of, well, is it a skinwalker? Is it some kind of shapeshifter? Is it Dogman? Is it the Beast of Brer Road? Things that I've talked about in the past. So I kind of wanted to filter those out. And then other reports are, nah, it's just a big wolf. This thing looked like a big wolf, or it looked like a wolf, but it spoke to me. Like, there's there's so many variations of what a werewolf is or how you become a werewolf or the lycanthropy? Lycanthropy. Lycanthropy in general. Uh, you know what I'm saying. Um, that it, it really kind of, like, it confused me for a while. It was It was difficult to do. So what I figured I would do is... Let's start at the beginning, or as best as I can figure, the beginning of werewolves. Because I say that because it's unclear exactly when and where the werewolf legend actually originated. But I'm going to go with the experts, people that have spent way too much time looking up werewolves. And these scholars believe that the werewolf made its debut in the Epic of Gilgamesh. That's when Gilgamesh's jilted when Gilgamesh jilted a potential lover because she had turned her previous mate into a wolf. All right, sounds werewolfy enough to me. It's it's a good beginning as any. So let's move forward. I'm not going to get too deep into that story. So another ancient history one is from Greek mythology. Now Greek mythology says according to the legend, a man named Lycon or Lycaon angered Zeus. Now, he angered Zeus when he served Zeus a meal made from human flesh, which was his preference. He liked to eat raw human flesh. So as punishment, the enraged Zeus turned Lycan, Lycan into a wolf. Yep, Lycan. The main source of the term Lycan. Yep, checks out. Cool. Let's keep moving forward. I don't want to bog down into too much of that one, into that one either. So let's go to the medieval times. Now, medieval times, man, that's when werewolves really got their start. Because werewolves were mentioned in medieval law codes, not just in stories or tales or, you know, like campfire stories or legends or urban legends. No, 
law codes, such as that of King Canute. Fun fact, his name is spelled C-N as in Nancy, U-T as in Tom. And it is way too easy to flip those middle two letters and change his name into something drastically different. Because when I was writing out the, um, the outline for this episode, I just out of habit, I guess, spelled him King C-U-N-T, not C-N-U-T. So, yeah, good old King Canute. He had a law written around 1018 that said, well, the important part said, the madly audacious werewolf do not too widely devastate nor bite too many of the spiritual flock. I'm going to read that again. The madly audacious werewolf do not too widely devastate nor bite too many of the spiritual flock. All right, why did this king write this law? Uh Uh-huh. Well, nobody seems to know. I was like, all right, where did this come from specifically? And I went down that rabbit hole for way too freaking long. Why include a line in a law that directly mentions a werewolf? So the best that I can figure, again, from people that are way smarter than me, church at that time thought that anything out of the ordinary was supernatural, and they loved to talk about supernatural bullshit. You got to remember, this is right around the time of, like, witch trials. So you know that those were all basically BS. Hell, the church at that time thought menstruation was a sign of the devil, So they love to include supernatural shit in just about everything they did. The other part of that is, at that time, wolves were serious predators. They were taking out livestock and people and and, and were just like basically the, the bane of small towns' existences back then. Also, the church linked wolves, or werewolves more likely, to gluttony, Greed, sex, look, just about everything I like. Think about anything that's cool or fun. Yep, that's supernatural. Yep, that's werewolves. Yep, that's stupid. Like, you know, it's just dumb. So to keep this episode going and not to get too bogged down into that, let me just say, church, hating werewolves, everything was supernatural, and let's keep going. To the briefest of stories, let's go to the Lutprand of Cremona. Now this happened somewhere. Oop. There we go. This happened somewhere in the late 900s, where it was reported that Bajan, son of Simeon of Bulgaria, could use magic to turn himself into a wolf. That's about the only part of the story you need to go. So let's move on again to the only female werewolf story that I could find from medieval Britain. They had the medieval UK, Europe, you know, where you know everything on that side of the ocean, basically, in medieval times, everything was men. Man was involved in everything. There were very rarely any women stories, except for the witches. So to find a female werewolf story, I was like, "Ooh, that's cool! I definitely want to add this one to the to this uh, episode." It came from uh, a medieval Britain writing. It was either written or told by Geraldus. Crambenis, Cramnen, Cram, Crambrensis, Crambrensis, there we go, Geraldus Crambensis. 
in topographia hibernica, basically hibernate. It's about Prince John's journey to Ireland, which I was like, well, let's find out if that part was true. Yep, that part is true. Prince John did a journey to Ireland. While he was in Ireland, he came back, or actually when he came back from Ireland, he came back with a story of his travels in Ossory, where a priest was approached by a werewolf seeking the last rites, not for himself, but for his wife, his human wife. So this priest says, hey, uh, this wolf came walking up with this woman, and then the wolf starts telling me this story. This couple had been cursed by a bishop to remain in wolf form for seven years. And, you know, they kind of convinced him, the priest that is, that this, you know, like, yeah, this wolf, yep, that's her husband. He's trapped in wolf form. And the priest gave the last rites to her. Now, again, the wolf looked just like a wolf. No walking on two legs or trying to date Kristen Stewart. But it did talk. So I would say that'd be pretty easy to convince me. Like if I saw a wolf just walk up and it was acting like a wolf, I'd be like, that's your husband? Yeah, you're into some weird canine kind of stuff. But no, it actually spoke to him. So he's like, all right, fine, I'll do it. And he gave the woman last rites. Here's my problem with this story. Then what? Did that guy, did the wolf walk away? Did the wolf and woman walk away and he never saw them again? She passed away and then five years later that wolf turned into a dude again like there's no follow-up to this story at all which kind of bums me out so from there let's head on over to hungary where it's been told that for centuries werewolves used to live in the region in the region of transdanubia here you don't even have to be bitten or cursed to become a werewolf because the legend says that the ability to change into a wolf just, you know, kind of happens when you're an infant. But only if while you're an infant, you were yelled at or abused by your parents or caretakers. It was so common back then that people wouldn't be shocked to see a seven-year-old boy or girl kind of like leave their house to go hunting at night and, you know, like naked little rabid kids running around. They'd be like, oh, they're, they're just werewolves. Kids will be kids. And they said that you could change to a human or a wolf basically whenever you wanted. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, you could also become a werewolf. Say you didn't make it as a kid. Like nobody beat you or yelled at you and you're like, oh, I want to be a werewolf. Well, don't worry. You can become a werewolf by passing through an arch made of birch and rose vines three times. That's all it takes. Now, I assume you have to be like, oh, please let me be a werewolf. Please let me be a werewolf. You can't just like pass through the arch three times because what if you didn't mean to? What if you were like, oh, I forgot my keys and went back inside and started to walk through the arch again. And you're like, ah, oh, crap, where's my cell phone? I'll be right back. I think you have to want to be a werewolf. But that's all it takes to become a werewolf back then in Transdanubia. Then the 18th century happened. It was bound to happen. It was the 17th century, so the 18th century is bound to happen. And that's when the witch trials happened. It happened in Hungary. And they weren't just witches that people went after. They went after werewolves. And let me tell you this. Wolf, witch hunt, these things happened all around the very round earth, the very round globe. No matter where you were, if there were witch hunts happening, there were werewolf hunts happening. 
I didn't want to get too much into this because they're virtually all the same. They stopped a dude and said, hey, you're, you're a werewolf. You knock off that werewolf crap. And he's like, I'm not a werewolf. And they're like, we're going to get you, werewolf. And then they, you know, maimed, tortured, or killed this poor guy and went, well, he didn't turn into a werewolf. Next one. Let's try The next one will definitely be a werewolf. Hey, you over there, you, you're being a werewolf. Like, every story is the same. So just pick a location, add that little version of my that speech that I just did right there. That's what happened in that location. So... Let's talk about some specific werewolves. Now, the first big werewolf, if you will, the biggest one that I can find, the earliest big, the specific big werewolf is the Beast of Givaudan. Now, I already forgot how to pronounce Givaudan. So let's see how close I am to that pronunciation. Ready? Here we go. Oh, no. Jevoudan, no, France. No, back up. France. All right, that wasn't too bad. Jevoudan. That's as you know, as close as I'm ever gonna get to something. The beast of Jevoudan. Now, for those don't that don't know who that is, let me tell you the tale of the beast of Jevoudan. In the 18th century, in the French province of Jevoudan was a town that was terrorized by the so-called Le Baton de Gévaudan, the Beast of Gévaudan. Spoiler, he's a werewolf. All right, so the uh, first sighting of the beast was by a woman who was herding cattle. You herd cattle or you tend to cattle? You herd cattle. Yeah, yeah, you herd cattle. Yeah, cattle. yeah, you herd cattle. So this woman who was herding cattle in the forest near La Gange in June. Now, she said it came after the cattle, but luckily... And her, but luckily one of the bulls charged the beast and actually scared it off. So everybody's like, ooh, there we go. If the beast comes at you, surround yourself by cattle and it'll be scared off. The next encounter, encounter though, wasn't so lucky because not long after that first one that we get scared off by cattle, the beast attacked and killed a 14 year old girl. Then it was full-blown beast mode because it was spotted all over the place. And it was killing or attacking livestock or people more and more and more. How many more, Kurtz? Well, there were 210 attacks. 113 of those attacks were fatal. So this thing... This beast, like I said, it was full-blown beast mode, was kicking ass all over this town. What did it look like? A wolf? A talking wolf? A wolf man? Michael Jackson from the Thriller video? Well, those that saw it up close said that it was a very large wolf with unusual red fur streaked with black. And I'm talking, like, picture a wolf, now double that wolf. That's what they're talking about. Now, it got so bad, the beast got so bad, the attacks got so bad, that in 1765, King Louis XV, 10, 5, yeah, 15, decreed that the French state would help slay the beast and even offered like a big bounty, like a big reward for doing it. Now, first they sent out a troop, uh, like a troop of men to do it. It was led by Captain Duhamel, and they hunted and spotted the beast, but he said he never got a clean shot of the beast because of, quote, the incompetence of his men. But they said this thing was huge, not a typical wolf. These men knew what the wolves looked like, especially in this area, and they said this thing was huge. 
Then, two wolf hunters were hired because, you know, if you want to kill a wolf, hire some wolf hunters. They were professional hunters Jean-Charles Marc-Antoine Vamsor d'Envois. Yeah, sure, why not? Hey, look, they hired Jean-Charles and his son Jean-Francois. Now, they too saw the beast, but they too failed to kill it. Now, they did kill a big-ass wolf, though, because on September 20th or the 21st, he said, We declare by the present report signed by our hand, we never saw a big wolf that could be compared to this one. Hence, we believe this could be the fearsome beast that caused so much damage. Now, this wolf, this wolf was actually stuffed and sent to Versailles. Now, here's the problem. Jean and Jean then went on to kill a female wolf and her two pups, thinking it was a family, like the beast was breeding, basically. So they just were killing wolves indiscriminately at that point, including pups, so F those guys. Now, everyone was convinced it was over. Hint, or spoiler, it's not over. Because two boys, age 6 and 12, were killed by the beast. So the king gets all upset and angry because he was telling everybody, like, we got him. Yeah, the beast is good. You're fine. Go outside. You'll be good. Oh, two boys were killed. Crap. So he sends out a lieutenant of the hunt, Francois and uh, a lieutenant of the hunt, Francois Antoine. Antoine. Sure, why not? That dude was a wolf-killing machine. He killed three wolves almost immediately, but... The beast was still spotted on the other side of the town, and it was still killing. Um, so let's see, 19-year-old or maybe 20-year-old. It's kind of confusing, depending on where you get your information. Marie-Jean Vallée was attacked by the beast on August 11th of 1765 while crossing the river with her sister. Now, she was armed with a bayonet affixed to a pole, and good old Marie-Jean Marie Marie Vallée, there you go, Good old Marie Jean Vallée, armed with a bayonet affixed to a pole, impaled the beast's chest. But the beast got away. Now she became known as the Amazon and the maid of Javadon. Then a local hunter was like, Look, man, I'm killing wolves all over the place anyway. I want a piece of this pie. So he went out and shot a wolf on June 19th, 1767. And the sightings and the killings of the beast of Jean ended. An autopsy of that animal revealed human remains inside. And that animal had non-wolf-like characteristics as described by the other witnesses. When, when Jean Chastal killed him, he was like, hey, when I was hunting this thing, this thing didn't act like a normal wolf. And it did things that other eyewitnesses have said, we've never seen a wolf do this before. Unfortunately, that body was never inspected or kept, so we may never know exactly what the wolf was, what the beast was. Today's beast experts, though, think it wasn't just one wolf, but a pack of wolves. And because all these hunters were like killing off like one or two or three wolves at a time, it wasn't until the entire pack was finally killed off that last one being by Jean Chastel, that ended the whole beast saga. But it gets weird. There are a lot of theories about what the beast was. 
Some of them, like, you know, like it's a dire wolf or some prehistoric wolf. Other ones include a Eurasian wolf, an armored war dog. Lots of people think that. A striped hyena. Now, this one has a lot of believers because some eyewitnesses at the time mentioned stripes on the wolf. And it was rumored that a rich person had like, like had a hyena as a trophy pet and it might have gotten loose. But there's no real evidence for any of that. The next one, a lion. Basically, the same story as the hyena, prize trophy pet, some rich douchebag that got loose. Um, Some kind of prehistoric creature, a werewolf, ding, ding, ding. A dog-wolf hybrid and a serial killer. Yep, that's right. Something that's uh, <laughs> quite a few people think is that this thing wasn't a wolf at all. It wasn't a beast at all. It was a serial killer because a few of the bodies were cleanly decapitated. And not just that, that the, you know, like, sure, like, you know, like a, a beast ate their head, but I'm talking like a clean de- de- decapitation. So they're like, it couldn't have been a beast. It had to be a man. They think that a serial killer dressed in a wolf's hide was just out and about killing people. And finally he gave up because he's like, all right, this is getting too risky. There's too many hunters out there. And there's a lot of people that think the beast was nothing more than a serial killer in a wolf's hide. And I got to say, I tried to find a photo of the wolf in Versailles and I can't find one. I really wanted to see what this beast looked like, but I can't find a photo that is 100%, you know, confirmed. This is the wolf, the beast of, of Javaudan. This is the beast, uh, taxidermy. That's the word I was looking for. This is the beast taxidermy in Versailles. I can't find anything that proves that that like, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, photos. If you go to photos, if you do the beast of Javaudan, you go to photos, or if you go to like Beast Taxidermy Versailles. There's a lot of photos, but nothing that is confirmed that it's real. So I don't know. With that, let's move on to our next werewolf. Thieves of Cantalbrun. Thieves or Thieves. A lot of people say Thieves, so I'm saying Thieves was a man known as the Livonia werewolf. Now this one happened in Jurgisburg, Sweden, in 1692. This guy wasn't some young buff like Twilight-looking werewolf. Nope. He was 80-something years old. And this dude was just walking around telling everybody, hey, you know, I'm a werewolf. Look, you, I have met you yet. I, I'm a werewolf. Look at me. I'm a werewolf. And he'd also tell people that he had a deal or deals with the devil. So, unrelated, he was brought before judges because they thought he was a witness to a church robbery, basically. There's a lot of versions of it. This seems to be the most common one. Now, while he was there, he starts telling the judges, hey, you, hey, judge, look over there. Look at you, man. I'm a werewolf. That's right. Everybody look at me. I'm an 80-year-old werewolf. And he started telling them all about this werewolf stuff. But he mentioned, nah, don't worry. I gave it up 10 years ago. His story started to change when they're like, what the hell do you mean you're a werewolf? He's like, oh, I was a werewolf. I gave it up 10 years ago. Now, he told the judges about 10 years previously, in 1681, he had also appeared in court when he was accused by a farmer from Lemberg of breaking his nose. Now, according to the story, uh, he had traveled down to hell as a wolf where the farmer, who was a practicing satanic witch, had beat him on the nose with a broomstick decorated with a horse's tail. You know, that old chestnut. And at the time, 
the judges refused to believe his story and laughed him out of court. So he got away with that one. So basically he just broke some dude's nose and came with that story. But one of the judges did verify that his nose had indeed been broken. So dun-dun-dun, whatever. Now this time, these new judges, they were like, all right, um, tell us more. They were like, is a dude crazy or what's going on? So they started asking several people from the area who knew Thies, if he was like, is this dude insane or is he telling the truth or what's his deal basically? And they all said that as far as they knew, he seemed to be pretty level-headed. He was common. Yeah, he was like, he's a normal dude. Sure, he talks about werewolves, but besides that, he's kind of just like a normal, regular guy. They also said that his status in the community has actually increased, <clears throat> pardon me, has actually increased since his run-in with the law back in 1681. So they were like, not only is he like a normal guy, he's kind of a cool dude. He broke that guy's nose because they went down to hell and got in a fight. So Thies, uh, they went on to say, he went on to say that him and other werewolves would transform on a few nights a year. Those nights, St. Lucia's Day, the Knights of the Pentecost, and St. John's Day. Kurt here, I have no idea what dates these are. If you were to say, hey, Kurt, when's St. John's Day? I'll give you $1,000. You can tell me when St. John's Day is. I'd be like, I don't know, December 3rd? I don't know. Um, uh, August 5th? Oh, St. Lucia's, Lucia's Day? That's got to be September 9th. I don't fucking know. Not a clue. So I guess basically what I'm saying is obviously I'm not a werewolf. But he says that on those days, he and other werewolves traveled down to hell. Once there, they fought with the devil and his witches in order to rescue the grain and livestock with the witches, with which the witches had stolen from earth. They fought with the devil and his witches in order to rescue the grain and livestock, which the witches, boy, that's hard to say, had stolen from earth. Now, when he was pressed by the judges, he said he transformed by putting on wealth, wolf pelts. So basically, he's like, oh, yeah, we put on wolf pelts. And we're actually the good guys. We're on the side of God, and we actually fight the devil and his witches. He went on to say that they, uh, him and the other werewolves, they would walk around in their pelts, nude, only wearing a wolf pelt, and they would uh, they'd go to local farms nearby, and they'd take any animals they could get their hands on. Then they would take these animals back to his place to roast and eat them. So the judge is like, hold on a second. Uh, so you're wolves but you're taking it back and you're roasting it. How are you roasting them? And he goes, wow, well, you know, we got human hands and we're just wearing wolf pelts. They would then travel to their werewolf home, which is a swamp in Lemberg, about a half mile away. You know, it's basically, it's the lamest werewolf story ever. It, this would not make it for a good movie. Uh, he also told the judges how, how he became a werewolf like the first time. He said he, that uh, he'd once been a beggar. And that one day, a, quote, rascal had drunk a toast to him, thereby giving him the ability to transform into a wolf. He then said that he could pass on this ability to somebody else by toasting them, basically breathing into the jug three times and proclaiming, you will become like me. If the other individual then took the jug and drank from it, boom, you got yourself a werewolf. But Thies claimed that uh, he had yet to find anyone ready to take over the role of Lycanthrope. Lycan Lycanthrope. Jesus, Kurt. From him. Uh, so what did all the... Basically, all right, he, he's crazy. He's got a lot of bad shit. Work. What do the judges think? Well, 
they didn't really care because he was like 80 something and frankly not worth it. But not really caring back then meant, oh yeah, they definitely flogged him and exiled him. So he didn't get exactly get off scot-free is what I'm saying. Also, what the hell is scot-free, getting off scot-free? What does that actually mean? Hold on, hold on. I want to, I got to, hold on. I'm taking us off on a tangent for a second because this is bothering me. What is the origin of scot-free? Uh-huh. All right, perfect. Origin of scot-free. To go scot-free is escape without incurring payment or without punishment. The origin of, origin of the phrase scot-free. Dred Scott was a black slave born in Virginia in 1799. In several celebrated court cases, right up to the US, USA Supreme Court in 1857, he attempted to gain his freedom. These cases were all failed, but Scott was later made a free man by his so-called owners, the Blow family. Knowing that we might feel we don't need to look further for the origin of the phrase Scott Free, many people, especially in the USA, are convinced that the phrase originated with the story of Dred Scott. All right, there you go. He was Scott Free. So, uh, there you go. Knowledge is power. There's a little, it was a quick tangent. We're back. Don't worry. All right, let's move on to the next werewolf. This one happened in 1685. A wolf was hunting and killing humans in the town of Neusis in the Principality of Ansbach in what is now Germany. Hey, German fans, how many of those words did I get right? Very few. Das tut mir leid. So the town's chief magistrate, Michael or Mikhail Leicht, he had just died. He was kind of a dick, basically. The town's magistrate kind of walked around being a dick. Nobody really liked him. He had just died, and boom, the wolf was seen near his estate, hunting and killing humans. And people were like, ah, oh, son of a bitch, like this cruel dick of a person, he's now a werewolf. Here's where this story goes horribly wrong. You have been warned. So they go out, they, all the hunters get together. They're like, we're going to kill that wolf liked. We'll get that shitty town magistrate. Oh, there's a wolf. So they hunt and kill a wolf. Then they parade that wolf's body through the town. <sighs> then caught off its muzzle and dressed it up like liked, using a mask, a wig, and clothes. Then hanged that body. The body was then preserved and put on display in the local museum. So, the winner of the most fucked up town on this episode goes to the Principality of Ansbach. I'm going to move past it to the next story. On to the werewolf of Alaritz. For Alaritz, let's travel to Spain in the mid-19th century. Or as I like to call him, uh, the serial killer named Manuel Blanco Ramasanta. Now, his story has a screwed up beginning because he was born in 1809 and he was raised as a girl until the age of six because doctors couldn't determine his sex. His gender is junk. Now, at six, doctors are like, all right, come here. Let me take a look again. See if we can figure out what it is. Oh, I think you're a boy. Yeah, he's, I look at boy. Yeah, he's a boy. So from six on, he, you know, he was treated as a boy. Prior to six, he was taught as a girl, which was shitty back then. It's not exactly great now. He was trained as a girl to do, you know, menial tasks around the house. But at six, when they said, yeah, that might be a penis, good on you, became, he became a boy. So not a good start to Manuel's story. So he grew up, married, and worked as a traveling salesman and tour guide after his wife died. Now, his first known murder 
was Vincente Fernandez, the constable of Lyon. Vincente was found dead after attempting to collect a debt from Manuel. Before he could be brought to justice, though, Manuel fled to Portugal, never to return to his hometown. From there, that dude just went on a crazy murder spree. Basically, anyone that hired him as a tour guide, no, oh, yeah, he'd show him around, he'd be a real good tour guide, and then he'd fucking kill him. So people started to notice him selling all these random people's clothing. They're like, that, you know, is that your clothes? And he's like, no, no, it's not my clothes. I'm just selling them. You want to buy these clothes? Then he started selling soap that townspeople said seemed to be made from human fat. Yeah, fight club style. So the police kept getting reports of the weird tour guide selling clothes and human fat soap. And shocker, he was arrested. So they arrest Manuel. Once he's arrested, he admitted to 13 murders, but said, uh, it's not my fault because I'm cursed with lycanthropy. But upon being asked to demonstrate his transformation abilities, he said, oh, no, no, the curse had passed and I'm no longer afflicted. So sorry, I, I can't turn into a werewolf right now. Thank you. Come again later. Stranger things happen, though. Not the TV show. Like, Stranger Things then happened because he was actually acquitted of four of the deaths that he admitted to when forensics exa when forensic examinations found that these victims were killed by a wolf and not a man. Question is, how did he know the victims' names? So the trial concluded on April 6, 1853. Manuel was sentenced to death by the garrote. He was ordered to pay a hundred real for each real real for I don't know ordered to pay a hundred local coins for each of his victims. Now he was in prison, but died that same year from maybe stomach cancer. Now I say maybe because a lot of experts think he was actually shot by a guard who was forcing him to transform. He's like, I want to see you transform. I'm going to shoot you. And when he couldn't transform, he was shot. Oh. And it turns out that he was indeed selling soap made from human flesh. Alrighty, up next is my favorite werewolf story for this episode. It's about a man named Peter Stump, which is a befitting name. You'll find out why in a second. So let's go to Rhineland, to the town of Bedburg, Germany in 1589 for this one. Now, Peter was a wealthy farmer. And kind of like the last dude, he was accused of being a serial killer. So, for years, the people of Bedburg complained about strange occurrences like mutilated cattle and livestock. They'd find them in the fields. They started finding bodies of the townspeople mutilated in the fields. Things you don't want to find in a field. Like, if, if this is price or um, family feud, things you don't want to find in a field? Mutilated townsfolk, people. Show me that thing. Yeah, it's that kind of stuff. They started seeing them a lot. Eyewitnesses said... Not only that, but they were attacked by a werewolf. Now, the townspeople said, one eyewitness, not the townspeople, one eyewitness town, townsperson said they managed to fight off the werewolf by lopping off its left paw. So it kept getting worse and worse. More and more bodies are being found, cattle, livestock, people, that a hunting party were formed and went out to kill the wolf. So they go out hunting with the hounds. The hounds start tracking something almost immediately. So they release the dogs, and when they caught up to the dogs, they had them. They had something 
cornered. That something they found? Peter Stump. Hopefully you guys knew that's where that was coming. Now here's the ironic bit. Peter's left hand had been cut off years ago. It's like breaking on a wedding day. A stump for a paw when you're killing townsfolk. All right, so they arrest Stump. They say, hey, that's kind of weird. The werewolf we're hunting, his left paw was gone. Your left hand is gone. And uh, they start torturing the crap out of him, basically, to get him to confess. It's like, you confess you're the werewolf. Through torture, because as you guys all know, torture is the best way to get someone to confess to something that is 100% true and not just said to make you stop torturing them. Through torture, he said he made a pact with the devil when he was 12 years old. That he had been given a magic belt, which allowed his transformation into, quote, the likeness of a greedy, devouring wolf, strong and mighty, with eyes great and large, which in the night sparkled like fire, a mouth great and wide, with most sharp and cruel teeth, a huge body, and mighty paws. Basically a werewolf. Now, if Peter removed the belt, boom, right back into human form. This belt was never found after his arrest. Now, Peter went on to say that, oh, yeah, not only did I kill all those people, I ate livestock, I ate women, I ate children. For 25 years, he'd been doing that. That's right. He confessed to killing and eating 14 children, two pregnant women, and their fetuses. Peter said, I ate their hearts, panting hot and raw and described them as dainty morsels. He said he went, on, he went on to say that he killed his own son, had a sexual relationship with his daughter. It's basically just lots of messed up confessions. And surprisingly to nobody, he was sentenced to death. Now, his sentence was death by breaking wheel on October 31st, yeah, October 31st, 1589. So what's a breaking wheel, you say? Or a, or a brake wheel. Well, a braking wheel, also known as a Catherine's wheel, or simply the wheel, was a torture method used for public execution primarily in Europe from antiquity through the Middle Ages and the early modern period by breaking the bones of a criminal or bludgeoning them to death. You might be thinking, well, that doesn't sound too bad, Kurt. Well, hold on. He was also sentenced to have his flesh torn from his body with red-hot pincers. Still not enough for you? How about... His limbs were broken with the blunt side of an axe so that he might not rise from the grave as a werewolf. Want more? Well, finally, he was beheaded and his head was placed on a pole with the figures of a breaking wheel and a wolf on it as a warning to others. Damn, townspeople of Bedburg, you do not mess around. Oh, wait, what's that? That You're still not done? No? Oh, okay. Nope. They also flayed strangled, and burned his mistress and his daughter. All I'm saying is do not be a one-handed werewolf in this town, people. Like I said earlier, his magic belt, never found. My suggestion to you is if you go to Bedburg and someone offers you an antique magic belt, don't take it. Also, why are you going to Bedburg? Did you not just hear the story I just told you? They will fuck you up in Bedburg. So we got two crazy towns. Um, I, I got to say, 
stay away from certain towns if you want to be a werewolf. I'd say, you know, come over here where we're not going to do these kind of evil things to you if you're a werewolf. Hell, around here, you just you, you might get shot with a silver bullet. That's about as bad as it's going to get. It's, you got some crazy fucked up towns, Europe, especially back in the day. All righty, with that one, uh, let me just say, I hope you guys enjoyed this first of part one of Werewolves, because that's right, part two is coming soon. There were so many werewolf stories that I I didn't think I would do it justice in one episode. I didn't think that if I made these cool story, the, the ones that I really liked stories, any briefer, that you really wouldn't get the, you know, the full feel of these werewolves. So I'm like, screw it. I'm splitting it up into two episodes, at least two episodes. Um, but I hope you guys like this one. That about does it for Werewolf Part 1. Coming up soon, Werewolf Part 2, Electric Boogaloo. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Savick, and this has been another episode of Paranormal Almanac. Flow where it worries, the flow we go, flow cobs not.